Have you done everything that you can to get your kid ready for college, and have you noticed that they don't want to register for disability services? When I interviewed Kelly Herman from the University of Phoenix last week in episode 31, she mentioned how so many students, when they arranged for online accommodations for COVID, did not realize they could get accommodations for other disabilities as well, including learning disabilities. And that struck me as a surprising disconnect between all the work that's done in high school for transitioning kids to college and the same kids who get to college and don't realize that there are accommodations available for their disability. So I decided I wanted to take a little bit of a closer look at that disconnect and what's going on. Because when I was a learning disability specialist and a disability coordinator, I had many students who came to my office, but they never followed through on their accommodations. And something was happening there. And I believe it's part of a bigger problem that I'd like to take a closer look at today. So welcome to College, Disabilities, and Success, Episode 32, My Disability Secret by Mickey Hayes. The opinions in this podcast are my own, but please reach out to your college physicians or legal services for any additional information. quest for answers to my question about what happens between high school transition and college disability services, I took a look at some of the research that was out there. And one of the premier pieces of research came from SRI International, which is formerly the Stanford Research Institute. And SRI International had a study called the National Longitudinal Transition Study, NLTS2, by Dr. Lynn Newman. And the NLTS2, the transition study, followed approximately 12,000 students who received special education services as they transitioned from high school to adult life. The students who were identified in high school as having SLD accounted for the largest portion, 67%, of the study's participants who enrolled in some sort of post-secondary education. However, only one-fourth of those students with SLD actually informed the college that they have a disability. That research I just read from was shared on the National Center for Learning Disabilities website. And I will have links to all of these resources in the show notes today for anyone who wants to dig a little deeper. This same research concluded six reasons students with learning disabilities do not establish their identity. And here are the six reasons that they came up with. And then we'll look at those a little bit closer. Reason number one, they want to establish an identity that does not identify them as having a disability. Number two, they feel shame or they are afraid of being perceived as lazy or unintelligent or getting an unfair advantage because of their accommodations. Number three, they're not sure what the response from the faculty is going to be, so there's fear about that, and they don't know if the faculty is aware of the laws that protect against discrimination. Number four, underestimate how important those accommodations are for their academic success. Number five, not knowing the disability services that are available to them or how the college operates in order for them to access them. And then number six, they have a high school transition plan that does not include post-secondary accommodations and supports at a college. So those are the six reasons. Let's take a look at them a little bit closer. The first one, wanting to establish an identity that's independent of their disability. They don't want their disability known. That is not unusual at all. And I think 
in most of the cases, that's probably the biggest reason that students don't self-identify. They just simply don't want people to know that they have a disability. Now, one of the workarounds for that that I used to do, whenever I had a student who told me they did not want to give their accommodations to the faculty, I would explain to them the nature of confidentiality because I think that's really, really important that students understand that every attempt is made to keep their disability confidential. The faculty member does not see their file. The faculty member does not see their documentation. The faculty member has no idea what their specific disability is unless they tell them. And the only thing that the faculty knows is that they registered with us for a reason and that they should have these accommodations. So I think part of overcoming that issue is just making sure that the student knows what they can expect when they get to college because it is a different world and privacy rules are so different than they were in that K-12 system where everybody knew their name, so to speak. Now, the second one was the fear of being perceived as lazy or unintelligent or wanting to get away with something because of their accommodations. That may be the case once in a while. I don't think it's a very common case. At least it hasn't been in my experience. And I think the faculty soon realizes that students with disabilities generally go above and beyond what they have to do, that they are working twice or three times as hard as students who have not identified as needing accommodations. So I think, in my mind anyway, in my experience, that's probably a misconception, and that may, again, go back to elementary school. I don't know. Now, the third mentions faculty judging them negatively, and that may be the case for some faculty. That just happens. What I always advise students to do when they give their accommodations to the faculty is to, number one, do it in private. Go to their office during office hours. Talk to them privately after class when nobody is around. Talk about what their accommodations involve and decide how much they want to reveal at that time. But have a heart-to-heart conversation with the faculty. Most of the time, it has been my experience that the faculty is willing to go out of their way to support you and to keep your disability confidential. But if you suddenly just walk into class and hand them the paper and go sit down, then don't be surprised if somebody says, what's this about? Or, gee, you don't look like you have a disability. That doesn't happen too often, but it can happen. So you want to establish a good working relationship with the faculty from the very beginning. If you're interested in more about getting along with faculty, listen to episode 22 I did where I interviewed my former student, Jimmy, and he talks about how much working closely with the faculty made a huge difference in his success. Number four, underestimating how important accommodations are. That, I think, goes back to preparing the kids for college. Do they know exactly how they were accommodated in high school, to what extent they needed accommodations, and do they understand their disability? And do they understand why the accommodations that they used were given and how they helped? I think at that point, that's education that comes prior to attending college. They really should know that their accommodations are critical to their success, but they should also know why they are critical to their success. One of the strategies you can do for that, if that's the case with your child, is you can have them sit in on the IEP meetings. The more active the students are 
in their IEP meetings, the more likely they're going to have a better understanding of their disability and the accommodations that they need for their disability and the significance of their disability in the whole scheme of things. Number five says not knowing what kinds of accommodations, services, disability services are available to them. And that comes down to those pre-college visits. I had mentioned early on in episode two that when you go to the colleges to those pre-college visits, that your child should talk to the disability services, meet the disability services there, and get a good handle on what your college offers. Because as I've said all along, if you've been following my podcast, you've heard it over and over again. Colleges are not created equal. And under the ADA, they can determine how they are going to accommodate you and how much they can choose to accommodate you. So some colleges are real user-friendly and others not so much. And so it's your job to help your child make sure that the college and your child are a good match for each other. And that goes to those college visits. And then the sixth one mentioned having a high school transition plan that doesn't specify needed post-secondary accommodations and supports. So when your child goes through the transition IEPs in the 11th and 12th grade, if college is on the horizon, then college support should be discussed. And that falls on your shoulders and your child's shoulders. If your child's part of that IEP, which again, that's a really good time for your child to be part of that IEP because the transitioning that they're doing is all about them. And so it's very important that they are involved in those conversations. So if there's anything that's going to be written on those transition IEPs, that would be the time to have those conversations so that they don't get to college and have no clue of what's available to them. There was another statistic on the research that I quoted at the very beginning, the National Longitudinal Transition Study, number two. And the research pointed out three reasons for that low disclosure rate among students with learning disabilities. Now, the first thing they said was 24% did inform their college that they had a learning disability. But that's only one-fourth, 24%. And 7% did not inform their college. They still considered themselves as having a learning disability, but they didn't inform the college. But a whopping 69% did not inform their college because they no longer considered themselves to have a learning disability. Now, this is a very, very very interesting statistic. I mean, the first question is, is the disability gone? Well, every person has to be looked at individually, but it has been my experience that it's not the case. It is possible that an individual has figured out how to compensate and work around the issues that the disability poses. And in that sense, they may have developed some workarounds that don't require accommodations. And that doesn't necessarily mean the disability is gone, but the impact of the disability could be mitigated. But it could also mean that the accommodations and modifications that they had in high school may possibly have given them a false sense of reality. I don't know if you remember, but in episode six, I talked about how colleges accommodate. Colleges accommodate for equal access. They do not modify curriculum. So the person going into college has to do the exact same material, the exact same assignments that everybody else does. So if one person in the class needs to learn 50 vocabulary words, they all need to learn 50 vocabulary words. 
That's just the way it works. And a student with a disability is not going to be cut down on the amount of work that they put out. The colleges, by law, cannot modify the curriculum because they're giving you a degree that they are guaranteeing meets certain standards. And to modify that curriculum compromises that degree. So what I've seen happen, more often than not, actually, is students sometimes try it in the beginning without accommodations. And that goes back to that very first reason they don't want to be identified as having a disability. Maybe they think it's disappeared. I don't know. But they don't want that. That is their secret. They don't want that known. There's also a concept that I'm older now, and I'm in college, and I'm wiser now. And I've seen this a lot in older adults who return to college. I'm older, and I'm wiser, and I shouldn't have that problem anymore, and yet I still keep hitting those same walls. So I've had that conversation on more than one occasion in my office. And that can be a very disheartening experience. So for those students that don't perceive as having a learning disability any longer can suddenly be surprised if things start to fall apart quickly. So if your child is in that situation where they just don't think they need it because they don't have a disability anymore, one of the ways that you can address that problem is to suggest that they go to disability services, register with disability services, get their accommodations, or at least get all their ducks in a row and their documentation in place, and then ask the disability offices not to communicate with the faculty. And if they choose not to communicate with the faculty, they'll go to class like every other student, and they're going to do the same work every other student does. What they have to understand is with no accommodations, and they take the test in class with everybody else, and no extended time or anything like that, that they are going to have to live with that test score. So if that's the case that's happening with your child, I would suggest you kind of keep on top of that with your kid, have conversations, how did the test go, get some sense of if they're struggling or not and how hard their reality is. But if they've already registered with disability services, if they're already in the system, then all they would have to do at that point is activate those accommodations. A trip back to the disability services would take care of it. Or if they have the accommodations in their pocket from when the disability services gave them the form to give to the faculty, then they can just go to the faculty and address the issue with the faculty at that point. The other thing they can do is they can get the accommodations, they can go to the faculty, they can address the accommodations with the faculty privately, give them the paper, and say, but I would like to try it on my own in the beginning to see if I can handle it. Most faculty respect that, and they'll go along with that if it's presented that way in most cases. At least that's been my experience. But that goes back to having those close conversations with the faculty. Private conversations, but good conversations nonetheless, where you and the faculty talk about your future in that class. Just always remember, always remember that college accommodations for disabilities are not the same as high school accommodations for disabilities. And what was acceptable in high school may not be acceptable in college. And what is acceptable at one college may not be acceptable at another college. So these are facts that you need to keep in the back of your mind when you're guiding and supporting your student as they transition from high school into college. I hope you found today's information worthwhile. It's a subject that's near and dear to me because I've seen so many times where students 
come into my office and they start the process and they just go by the wayside. And that's not what you want for your student. You've advocated for your child much too long for that to happen. But you have to be able to transition your child. Teach your child to become that self-advocate that they need to be. And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate. My website is mickeyteaches, M-I-C-K-I-E, teaches.com. And my email is mickeyteaches at gmail. I look forward to hearing from you. Take care and have a great rest of the day. Bye. Information contained throughout this podcast has been gleaned from my own personal experiences. But to ensure accuracy, please contact the Disability Services at the College of Your Choice to have first-hand information and the most up-to-date policies and procedures followed by your particular institution of higher education. The content in any of these podcasts is not intended as a substitute for information from legal, educational, or medical professionals. Always seek the advice of your attorney or qualified health care provider with any questions you may have with regards to legal, educational, or medical concerns.